Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. Quick question for everyone in here. How many of you guys... Have ever gotten something you absolutely did not deserve? Have you ever gotten something you didn't deserve? Yes. Maybe it was a raise. Maybe it was a, a promotion. Maybe you were the casualty of someone's random act of kindness and they didn't know they were buying coffee for a complete jerk, whatever it might be. Like, we've all gotten something that we did not deserve. And it feels great, right? You're like, hey, all right, cool. It's my lucky day. Now, kind of similar question. Have you ever not gotten something that you did deserve? Now, I'm not talking like, oh, I've worked for this company for 20 years and they didn't give me that job. No, not. I'm talking you're going like 30 over in a school zone, you get pulled over and you don't get your car impounded. Anyone ever had? You're like, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Justin and I are, are similar in the fact that we were, we were good kids that did some stupid stuff. Uh, my stupidity started when I was little and it carried on to today's July 3rd. Yeah, about now. Um, and, and when I was in college, um, I, I had good grades, and my bills were paid. I just didn't like some of the rules that they had set in place. And so I would, I would stretch those rules or push those boundaries. And I remember my mom met our dean of students on our graduation day, and she goes, hi, I'm Pam Ballard. I'm Michael Ballard's mom. And he gives her this look like you're the one responsible for this child. Like, there were times I got called into his office He's like, we could have called the police, but we didn't. And I'm like, no, you couldn't have. I was like, you would have. If you, I was like, I didn't say that, but in my mind, I'm just smiling. And apparently my charming personality got me out of something. It was great. It's a great feeling not getting some of those things that you deserve where you're like, oh, so you're telling me I could get expelled, but I'm not going to. Yes, thank you, right? It's a great feeling. It's like, it's, it's relief. And when we look in the Bible, you've got some different words that describe these two things. And the definition, the most basic definition of the word grace in the Bible, is favor. But when God is the one dispensing grace, it changes to an undeserved favor. Mercy goes along with grace, kind of like what, biscuits and gravy, macaroni and cheese, they kind of go hand in hand, you get mercy, you get grace. Mercy is us not getting something we do deserve. And when God is the one dispensing mercy, he's holding back the judgment and punishment that we deserve. So he gives us mercy by holding back the judgment and he gives us grace by giving us undeserved favor. And so, With that in mind, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 35. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, 35. The scriptures will be on the screen. They're also on the the sermon on the FC app. They're also in your Bible if you want to read along. Um, Matthew chapter 21, or verse chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Let me stop right here real quick. Jesus, like Peter thinks he's doing really good. He's like, hey, if someone sins against me, if they make me mad, make me angry, it's like seven times, right? I think the law required like just a couple, like two or three times for forgiveness. Peter's like, seven times, look how awesome I am. And Jesus goes, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven, 490 times. Now that's not putting a limit saying that Jesus has given you just under 500 forgiveness coupons and when someone forget, wrongs you, you, there's one for you and there's one for you and when you're out, you're like, I have no more forgiveness to give. I've met my quota. No forgiveness for anything. That's not what Jesus 
is saying. What he's saying is as often as you need to forgive someone, forgive them. It's an ongoing thing. And then he goes into this really interesting parable, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master, begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. When the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat, super aggressive, and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for a little bit more time, be patient with me and I will pay it. Almost exactly what that guy said to the king. But here's a different response. His creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. The king called in the man and said, he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. This whole parable starts off because Peter asked Jesus about forgiveness. And then Jesus goes to tell this story about forgiveness from two different perspectives, what God has done for us and then what we are required to do for others. And so with that in mind, let's look at, at first at what God has done for us. Look at, let's look at this debt that we owe. So we see in Matthew chapter 18, starts out, um, Kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date. Uh, in the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debts. You've got the king representing God. You've got the debtor, the, ma- the guy that's like in this insurmountable, impossible debt. And you've got this other guy that owes just a few thousand dollars. And at some point in our lives, we've all been in the shoes of both of these men who have owed money. And if you're like, no, what? No one's ever made me mad. No one's ever sending, no one's ever hurt me. Like, no, 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 okay, well, live it up. It's gonna happen, so, okay. Congratulations, you're like the 1% like out of everyone here that's never had anyone do anything against them. But we all can fit into the shoes of the guy has this impossible debt, this insurmountable debt. As we're, as we're reading this, I'm reading out of the New Living Translations, and it says millions of dollars. Um, different translations say 10,000 talents. Whenever you read a talent in the New Testament, it's not talking about, hey, you can play the guitar, you can sing, you can juggle. No, a talent is just a unit of money. So the conversion system was this. So if you worked for one day, you would get a denarius. If you worked for 600 days, you'd get one talent. So almost two years of work is one talent. In this story, some translations say that he owed 10,000 talents. And before you start talking about the inaccuracies of scripture, blah, 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 whatever, Jesus is making a point here that this guy owed an impossible debt that he could not pay in his lifetime, his kid's lifetime, his grandkid's lifetime, that it was a debt that there was no way he could pay. So Jesus is just making this big point. And at some point in our life, we have all been in this guy's shoes. And I don't mean that you have like this crippling gambling debt and you've got some guys waiting to break your kneecaps. That's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about 
is that we all have been in a situation where we are in an insurmountable debt, but that debt is not owed to any individual. That debt is owed to God because sin has put us in debt to God. Let's look at Romans chapter three, verse 23. You guys are probably super familiar with it. Just tells us, just so we're all clear, everyone has sinned. Everyone say everyone. Thank you. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. We've all sinned. We're all in debt. God's got a standard. We've all come in well below that standard. For some of us, our past may be dark, maybe nasty, maybe messy. Maybe you're afraid to like look somebody in the eye because you're afraid God's gonna give them a word of wisdom and your past is gonna be revealed and you're never gonna be able to like step foot within like, or be within like 500 feet of a Chuck E. Cheese. I don't know, but whatever it may be, you might have a really ugly past. However, there's probably a, a lot of us that maybe our past isn't that bad. Like I grew up in church, but guess what? I've still sinned. And a lot of times we may not have this nasty, gross, dark past, but we've come to live with what might be considered like these acceptable sins where it's like, oh man, I just made fun of that person a little bit. I just cussed a little bit. I just got a little drunk, right? I just gossiped a little bit. I just cheated a little bit on my taxes, right? These little sins that like, if you were to tell somebody, hey, what'd you do last night? Like, and they'd be like, okay, cool. But according to the Bible, there's no sin that's passed off as acceptable. And so here's the thing, the truth that is, is going to make us all feel really gross. No matter what your history is like, maybe you've told one little lie in your entire life, and that's the only blemish on your record. Right? You told just one, one lie. No other. In eternity, in the, in, in, in the sight of God, we're called to be holy as he is holy. And sin puts us in this impossible debt. And so whether your past is nasty, whether it's just kind of like, no, there's just things that I'm just like, I'm just working on, just working on me. We've still sinned. And when it comes to the balance that we owe, we're on the same side as those worst offenders we could think of, as the murderers, the rapists, the child molesters, the human traffickers. We stand on that same side in the eyes of God. And that's like... Ugh, that, that makes me feel gross, right? Because you're like, no, 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 that's not, I don't like that. I don't like that. But here, let's look at James chapter 2 real quick. Just a super short verse. James chapter 2, verse 10. That's really telling. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. Did you catch that? You could have kept all, done everything right, but you missed one. You're just as guilty as everyone or anyone who's broken all of God's laws. And here's the reason we don't really like that and we don't want to agree with that is because a lot of times we set our standard as other people. We're like, well, I'm not as bad as that person. I may not be as good as that person, but like I'm somewhere kind of in the middle. Like if you were giving yourselves a, a Christian grade, you'd be like, I'm like a C plus, I'm like C plus Christian. I'm an average, but I'm like, just say a little above average Christian, right? But that's the problem is our scale's off because our scale is not each other. Our scale is God. And the Bible makes it very clear that we've all fallen short of that standard that God has set. And so what's the result of our sin? What, is, what, is, what happens? What's that debt that we owe? Romans six twenty three. another one we're all familiar with probably. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, our role in this story is the place of this man who owes this impossible debt. 
and we're standing before God, broken, helpless, totally hopeless. And I don't care who you are in this room, that description has fit us all. Why am I hitting on this? It's not to beat you up. It's not to make you feel bad about yourself. Here's, here's why I'm hitting on this so hard. Because we have to grasp the enormity of the situation. We have to grasp the enormity of our debt before we can understand the significance of the result. We have to understand the first half of Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. We have to understand where we are in this story before we can appreciate the back half of Romans 6.23. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If we don't think we're that bad, the gift of God will never be that good. If you think, eh, I'm okay, then God giving you an undeserved gift, you're like, I kind of deserved it. I mean, thanks, God, but like, I'm not that bad of a person. If that's our mindset, we don't understand the reality of the situation. Do you know that, that word, the free gift of God? It comes from the same root word as grace. That there is an undeserved gift that God has given us. What is that gift? It's the forgiveness of our debt, the forgiveness that we could not pay. An undeserved gift. And, and it's not something that we work for. It's not something we earn. It's not something that if I do the right things, if I check the boxes off, I'll get it. No, no, no. It is an undeserved, unearned, unattainable gift that only God has given to us. You look at Matthew chapter 18, the man's response when, when he says, hey, you're going to be sold. Your wife, your kid, everything you own is going to be sold. The man's response, he fell down before his master and begged him to be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and released him and forgave him the debt. The master extended mercy by not giving him what he was due. And then he extended grace by forgiving him the debt. Man, uh, I think I paid my truck off last year. Awesome feeling. We paid Aubrey's student loans off a few years ago. Great feeling. We're working on our house payment. If anyone in this room wants to give me an undeserved grace, I will holla at your boy. I will let you pay off that debt. Just yes and amen. Bring it, Lord, right? That's, I will let you do that. But here's the deal. Being relieved of debt is a great feeling. Has anyone ever paid off a debt and paid off your car, paid off student loans, paid off your home? Isn't that awesome? You're like, whew, I don't have that coming out every month. Who paid it though? I paid my truck off. We paid her debt. Like we paid it. Having a debt paid off that there is no hope of me ever having it paid off, like having it just forgiven. I can't imagine what that guy, he, he had to be shell-shocked when he walked out of the room. And he's like, what's going on? He goes to his wife and she's like, well, you okay? And he's like, I think so. We've just been forgiven of that debt. You think that guy would be like the most gracious person that ever lived. You think he'd be the most like thankful person that's ever lived, but he makes this shift that is not too uncommon for a lot of us. He makes this shift. Let's look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 28 through 30. We just read it. But the man left the king, went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars, grabbed him by the throat, and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Unfortunately, some of us make this same shift about as quickly as this guy in the story. We'll be in here raising our hands, singing songs, thanking God that we're saved and we're forgiven. 
and then we'll go lose it on some 20-year-old because they forgot that you didn't want mayo on your hamburger. Like, I want my meal comp. You're like, calm down, Karen. Like, what are we doing, church? What are we doing? I'm being a little extreme here, but here's the deal. The sad reality is we quickly overlook the debt that we've been forgiven and refuse to extend grace and mercy to those who have hurt us. I, I, I didn't pick this up until like literally just now I'm reading this, but this guy's response to the guy that owed him money was a lot more aggressive than the king's response. You think if anyone had a right to grab someone by the throat and demand money, you think it'd be the guy that owed millions and millions of dollars. You think the king would be like, where's my money? But he didn't. This guy, not only did he throw the guy in prison, but he also assaulted him. Nothing like what the king did. Man, when someone sins against us, and I want to make, I want to make this clear, I think there's this, maybe this misconception that we just have to just give this broad, like, unilateral forgiveness, like, blanket forgiveness. We absolutely have every right to do that. Absolutely. The Bible does talk about church discipline, and if someone sins and you go before that person and they refuse to repent, you bring another person, they refuse to print, repent, you bring it before the church and they refuse to repent, you kick them out of the church. So there's like, not necessarily, there's not like, it's like, no, they've, there's gotta be consequences for their actions. But it's very, very clear in the word of God that when someone sins against you and they ask for forgiveness or there's repentance, we have no other option but to forgive them. That we are to extend grace and mercy, and I don't understand how it is that we have received so much grace and mercy, yet we refuse to give it to other people. Man, it's odd to me, but sometimes those people who have been forgiven of the most seem to be the same people who are quickest to condemn. Let's look at Revelation chapter 2. You're like, ooh. Getting spicy out of the book of Revelation. No, there's no dragons in this one. This one's kind of straightforward. Um, Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you first did. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. This is written to the church in Ephesus. This is the church that Paul planted. You read the Ephesian, like book of Ephesians. Yeah, that letter was to them. But God has a complaint against these people. These people used to be passionate. They used to be excited for the things of God. But that excitement, that passion was rechanneled into being passionate to make sure that people followed the rules to a T and there was no grace and there was no forgiveness and there was no mercy. And God says, you know what happened is you lost that first love. Man, that's... Are we in that, those same shoes where we have kind of gotten numb to what God has given us. And so now it's not about the grace and mercy that it's we, we've received, but it's about making sure we look the part. And when other people don't look the part, we make sure that everyone knows it. I'm reminded of the story where, where the, the woman was caught in the act of adultery and, and she was thrown before the feet of Jesus. 
and the religious teachers of the law and the Pharisees demanded that, hey, Jesus, you got to make a judgment on her right now. What are you going to do? And what did Jesus say? If any of you is without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. Man, the, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they knew the scriptures inside and out. They knew the laws. They should have been the ones that were most in love with God and most in love with the things of God, but instead they turned it into a burden for other people. Instead of getting excited when other people showed a desire to follow God, they said, no, you didn't do it right. And instead of grace and mercy, they picked up stones ready to condemn those people. Did you know that Jesus' harshest rebukes were for those people that claimed to follow God the closest? Those gatekeepers... Jesus' harshest rebukes were for them. He said, you look really good. But he said, you look like a, a decorative tomb. How many of you guys have, have seen grave sites? They've got flowers and they're, they're, they've got all that. They're, taking, they're well taken care of. They're pretty to look at, right? A great memorial. But Jesus says, you know what? You look like a whitewashed tomb. You look great on the outside, but on the inside, it's corpse. It's dead. The Pharisees, the religious teachers of the law, they lost that first love, much like the church in Ephesians. And that should be a warning to us that if we aren't careful, we can quickly forget all that God has done for us and become hypocritical, judgmental stone throwers ready to condemn somebody the moment they cross us. Man, they, I, sure, yeah, God's forgiven them. I guess I've forgiven them, but, but what? But what? Because let's look at, let's look at Romans 5.8 real quick. It says this, and listen to how this verse starts. You can see on screen, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While I was at my worst and while you were at your worst, do you know what God did? He extended grace and mercy and sent Christ to die for us before we had even done anything worthy of that, an undeserved grace. And we're like, yeah, okay, sure, whatever. I think it's interesting, though, where that word but is in that statement because the verses leading up to that tell us how utterly hopeless we were to pay that debt. We were the guy, the first guy in the story where we owed an insurmountable debt. But God forgave it, extended grace and mercy. And a lot of times we switch that verse around just by changing one word. We say God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, but... But that person over there did something really nasty. Yeah, maybe they said, I'm sorry, or whatever. Maybe, you know, sure, Christ's sacrifice was enough for them, but it's not enough for me to forgive them. And we put that, we put that but at the, from the beginning, yeah, yeah, sure, Christ died for them, but, but what? But what? Who are we to make a judgment when Christ has forgiven them? It's like grace and mercy for me, but none for thee. Mm-mm, no. No, 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 no. Man, when we do that, when we refuse to forgive, we, we take a, a really big risk. And so let's look at what that risk is, just to put this in perspective, put this in context here. When some of the other servants saw this, saw what the guy did, right, didn't forgive the debt, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything had happened. The king called in the man and he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on him just as I had mercy on you? 
Then the king sent the man to be prisoned to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Man, when it, forget, when it comes to forgiving and extending grace and mercy, we are going to get what we give. If we are abundant in grace and mercy and forgiveness, God will abundantly forgive us. But if we're stingy, if we're heavy-handed, if we're hoarding grace and mercy, oh, all mine. There's not going to be grace and mercy extended your way. Man, we, as followers of Christ, we should be ready to, we should be standing ready to forgive like every second of every day. And when someone comes in repentance and they, you offer forgiveness, sometimes bitterness starts to creep up. And you say, all right, there's 490, 489, 488, 487, right? Just giving those forgivenesses as often as you need to. Because even though that person may have repented, sometimes you have to go back and still forgive them. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like, yeah, they apologize. But then sometimes something just, something clicks and you're like, all right, forgive, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive. Man, I read somewhere that just kind of hit me. It's like Christians are beggars telling other beggars where to get bread. That you and I have been in a hopeless place and we found hope. We found source of life. We found what we need. Man, why wouldn't we tell other people the same thing? Why wouldn't we give, oh man, I've got grace and mercy. Yeah, yeah, here's some for you and here's some for you, right? Like this, check out, check out what, I, what I've found. I'm giving it out. Man, we need it on a, on a daily basis. Romans tells us that grace rules over us, meaning that's a constant rule, that it's not just a one-time thing, but grace rules over us now. Man, and if you and I are gonna be like Christ, we have to do what Christ did and forgive other people. And sometimes it's undeserved. You know what? The grace that God gave us is undeserved. There's nothing that you or I could have done to work for it. It's the whole point of salvation, there's nothing that we can do. It's only paid by what Christ did on the cross. And one way that we prevent ourselves from becoming these religious, hypocritical stone throwers, one of these ways we, be, we prevent ourselves from, from demanding judgment and payment from those who have wronged us, we don't have to over like complicate it. It's you hold on to Jesus. Because if you're holding on to Jesus, you can't be grabbing these rocks down here. If you're holding on to Jesus, you can't be grabbing someone by the throat, demanding judgment, demanding payments. Church, I'm not, like, my big toe looked like it could have been a toe model for Frodo Baggins and Lord of the Rings, right? I'm not a big fan of it, right? It's like, you have hobbit feet. Not a big fan of it. But if I didn't like that toe and I was like, cut it off, like, it would affect my balance. Like, I'd be all out of whack. And a lot of times... We do that with the body of Christ. We see someone we don't like or we don't like their past and God's forgiven them and they've transformed, but you're like, yeah, but they, yeah, a leopard never changes its spot, so just wait, they're gonna just wait. And we try to start lopping off appendages off the body of Christ and we don't function as, as efficiently and effectively as we need to as a church because we're, we're poisoning ourselves. God said, hey, you gotta forgive They've got to repent. Don't understand me. There's got to be repentance on their end. But when there is, there's got to be forgiveness on our end. And when that happens, we start to work in harmony and unity and the church operates in its full authority and its full power. But until then, that's not going to happen. 
until you're side-eyeing somebody and be like, that person over there. We're not a healthy body of Christ. And holding on to Jesus helps us live out what Colossians 3 requires of us. Colossians 3, verses 12 through 13. Since God chose you, let me stop there. Do you know that God adopted us into his family? If my wife and I wanted to go adopt a child, we'd say, I want, I want to adopt that one. I want to adopt that one. God chose you to be his holy people he loves. So you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Let me stop there. How many guys have a monthly budget? Does anyone have a monthly budget? You budget? You're like, so now you were like, where's all my money go? It's because you don't budget. Come on, guys. I know you spend $200 every time you go to Walmart, but come on, make a budget, right? Anyway, budget. But are you, are you familiar with what a budget is? Is anyone familiar with what a budget is? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I know what it is. I just don't do it. Okay. Thank you. Now we're all on the same page. What God is speaking to Paul here is he's saying, make an allowance for each other's faults. What he means is, hey, people are going to be people and they're going to hurt you and they're going to screw up and they're going to offend you. Make an allowance, make a budget line item so that when that happens, you're like, there's forgiveness for you. There's one for you. And there's one for you, right? Because it's going to happen. He says, be willing to forgive, make an allowance because it is going to happen. And guess what? You're going to offend other people and other people are going to have to make it a budget and allowance for your offense against them. You're not perfect. <gasps> How dare you? Works both ways here. You want people to forgive you when you hurt them. We got to be willing to forgive other people and extend grace and mercy. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Church, I'm wrapping up with this. You and I, understand this, have been forgiven of infinitely more than we will ever be offended by. The debt that we were in to God is nothing compared to what others might be in debt to you. Does that make sense? We've been forgiven of infinitely more than we will ever be offended by. You know what Christ did for us? He extended grace and mercy and forgiveness. Man, if we want to imitate him in all that we do, then when it comes to forgiveness, when it comes to grace and mercy, we've got to be standing willing, ready to extend it every moment of every day, imitating him, being more like him in all that we do. And when we do that, that's going to heal a lot of problems that's happening and fracturing in the body of Christ. When there's forgiveness, when there's mercy, the body's going to be healed, going to be effective, going to be powerful to make Jesus famous and expand his kingdom. Let's pray. God, we come before you today. God, and we thank you for your grace. God, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you chose us to be in your family. God, that you gave us something we did not deserve. God, an undeserved gift. God, that you withheld the punishment that we were all due and instead extended undeserved favor. And so we thank you for that. God, and I pray that you would help us. God, that you would break down that bitterness. You would break down those walls, God, that you would be, let us be dispensers of abundant grace and abundant mercy. God, let us remember that when it comes to those two things, God, that we are going to get back what we've been giving out. God, so let us clothe ourselves with mercy, making allowance for each other's faults. 
with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in this room, it's not by coincidence that God has a purpose in all that he does. And if you're in this room and you're, you know your life is not where it needs to be, it is not because you're just super self-aware. It's because God has been drawing you back to him. That John 6, says, no man comes to me unless the father draws him. God has been drawing you and you recognize that your life isn't where it needs to be. Man, if that's you, I'm gonna count to three. If you say, Michael, I wanna be a recipient of that undeserved grace. I want that gift, that free gift of salvation. I want that life change. When I count to three, just simply raise your hand. One, two, three. Is there anyone here say, that's me? Yeah, thank you. Simply raise your hand, say, yeah, that, I need that. Yeah, thank you, I see you back there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's what I'm gonna do, just a little something different. Man, your relationship with God is not dependent on my relationship with God. And so I'm gonna ask our prayer team to come forward at this time. We've got some individuals, we've got some next steps. For those of you that that raised your hand, we've got some steps at the end of service that we'd love for you to take. But I'm not gonna ask you to repeat a prayer. I'm gonna pray for you, and then I want you to take a next step. So let me pray over you that, that raised your hands. Father, we come before you this morning. You see the hands that were raised. God, the people that were returning back to you, that are responding in faith to the call that you've been putting on their lives. God, and I pray that right now their hearts are transformed and changed forever. God, that there is an encounter with you that is undeniable. God, where they're taking hold of that free gift of salvation. God, and keeping you at the center of it all, chasing you with all they do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, can we celebrate the life change that happened today? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, if you're in this room and you raised your hand or you're watching online, we've got some next steps for you, right? Um, Because what just happened wasn't like the end of the journey. Like, yeah, I made it, right? It's the beginning of a relationship. And so if you raised your hand, I'm gonna ask you to come down and just have one of our prayer partners pray with you. Let them walk you through kind of what's next, right? Because every day you're supposed to grow more and more like Christ. So you need a community. So one of the first things that you need to do biblically is get baptized. Then you need to get involved in the community, right? Then you need to get involved in the word. Man, and if you don't have a Bible, stop by the Connect Center on your way out of here. We've got a box. This is I Have Decided. It's got a Bible. It's got some different stuff that we wanna give you as you are beginning your walk with Christ. But let's understand that there are steps to take after this. All right, every day we're getting closer and closer to Jesus. I'm not perfect right now, not by any stretch of the imagination, but hopefully tomorrow I'm better than I was today. And each day, it's less and less of me and more and more of him. And for the rest of us in here, I don't care if you've been serving God for 20 minutes or 20 years, your call is the exact same. More of him, less of me every day. What are you doing to make that happen? Church, thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Thanks for being in this place. Man, go have a safe weekend. We love you guys. Our prayer team's down here if you need prayer. You guys have a safe 4th of July. We'll see you next Sunday for Friends Day. We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv. 